Welcome into Natchez Glen House Stories number 15. I warn everyone right at the beginning of this story, we may break the time record. The time record currently held by Michael Marriott of David Austin Roses. We may break it. My guest this week is Dr. Alan Armitage. One of the things immediately, Alan, that you and I are going to talk about, and I'm going to give you too much of my own psychological profile here in this question. You did not grow up with a grandmother, mother, anyone like that, who was a huge, passionate garden person. Neither did I. And you've been doing this way longer than I have. So everyone you meet always seems a lot of them have that story about the the grandmother, the grandfather, the mother, someone in their immediate family who led them through on a beautiful spring day. And that memory stuck with them the rest of their life. You and I didn't have that. So how did we end up here, Alan? How are we now so passionate about plants without that wondrous backstory? Well, Steve, I have absolutely no idea. Um, Quite truthfully, you know, this whole passion, I I get so many, well, I'm already losing the train of thought. I have so many people ask me, you know, how did you get here from there? Or or what does it take to have that passion? Or, Or what do you recommend to young people who want to do this kind of, horticultural thing, which we need to talk about because we can't even define it. So what does it take? And you know, Steve, it's like you. I, I, don't, I don't know. I certainly can't put my thumb on it, but I call it juice. You got to have the juice. You, you, you got to, whether you're a young person, old person, between person, if you are really going to be passionate, it's, it's kind of there. Uh, it's like teaching. You can't, you know, teachers are born. You can't make a great teacher. And, and passion is something you have or don't have, but sometimes it's hidden and you have to find it. So, you know, when you, and you recognize that people have the juice. It doesn't take you about 30 seconds to say, oh, this is kind of cool. So how I got here from there is a long story, and we can get into that if you wish. And how you got to where you are from where you were, I'm sure is an equally Interesting story. Well, well that's but, one of but, that's one of the things, Alan, that I find so. And, and this is something about the horticulture industry that I think many times has been limiting. That there is this sort of expectation that people go down this relatively rigid path, and it puts us in this space where if you don't come in with a particular pedigree. That you can't do this. If you don't know botanical, if you don't know nomenclature, if you're not this, if you're not that, if your grandmother didn't pat you on the head three times on a Sunday in the garden, <laughs> you can't possibly garden. You must have, you, you can't be a part of our club. Where do you think, that, is that part of where that came from? No, no I, maybe so, but I'm not sure I agree with you. Uh, I, I think that it's nice to have grandma pat you on the head. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, if, if, but, but if you're okay, if we're talking gardening here versus, you know, horticultural industry and all that nonsense, and we can certainly diverge here, but let's talk about gardening for a minute, the passion of gardening. And how many times have we heard that it's dying and, you know, people don't want to get dirty and we get, you know, everybody's so busy, they can't do anything. And, and all of that actually is true. 
But the passion of playing in the dirt, whether it is a posted stamp piece of dirt or a two-acre piece of dirt, that passion is with many, many people, regardless of grandma. And, and maybe grandma got them there at the beginning, but many people, uh, they, well, my daughter's being them. You know, my daughter's, okay, you say, well, gee, your, your daughters are surrounded by this stuff. They had no interest in this plant stuff. Hell, I couldn't even give them a book. But, but they now are, have a place of their own, and they want to make it a little prettier, and they got a container, and they say, oh, boy, this is cool. So I think the passion, uh, it may not be flaming, burning passion, but I think many people still enjoy playing, getting dirt under their fingernails, and feeling good about making the place a little bit better. So, so grandma's great, and, and I'm all about grandma and good for her, but I think there's still a lot of people out there that, regardless of their background, you know, love it. Uh, you know, and, and you get executives who just want to grow the biggest tomato. Uh, that's, that's their goal. Can, so, can, let's bridge there, that, let's bridge that topic for a second, Alan, between the horticulture world. And I think this is a really important point for people. We've got the horticultural industry. And then we've just got gardeners. People, like you mm-hmm. said, who just at any level just enjoy occasionally right. or frequently getting out there and gardening. Do you feel that sometimes those two things are not on the same page? That the oh, horticultural the industry doesn't listen to the gardener and the gardener really doesn't even know that the <laughs> horticultural industry exists. Uh, okay. On paper, in theory, everybody is sort of saying, well, the, the, I'll say the gardener, maybe it's a landscaper. Let's say the gardener for now is important because they buy their plants in theory. In practice, this is not true. Now, if there's a bunch of my industry buddies listening to this, they, they've heard it before. Um, the gardener is by far uh, the least influential uh, as to what plants are going to appear in the marketplace. Uh, that, 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 and, and, you know, we have, and I say we as an industry, have dismissed the gardener. And uh, over time, because of those things where they're too busy to really care what the variety is uh you know even even small 60 by 100 uh, urban lots are being mowed blowed and goad by these people who come by with their damn noisy machines so we tend to think that they don't care now the fact is that many of them do but there are fewer than ever so the industry is looking towards the industry starting with the breeding of the plant, looking towards where these plants can be sold. And where these plants are sold, Steve, let's face it, the biggest customer for the industry, whatever that means, that means for the people who breed plants, the people who sell plants, the biggest customer by far is the box store. And like it or not, that's where the plants go. So the gardener goes to the box store or the garden center um, and uh, takes whatever is there. So there are very few instances, and we can talk about a few of them, where the where there has been grassroots uprising by gardeners or by users in the horticulture industry. Now it is all top down, very little bottom up. So where do you, this is a chicken and egg debate here? I think, Alan, mm-hmm. did the industry give up on gardeners, or did gardeners give up on the industry? No, 
I'm not, you know, I don't think it's quite as black and white as that. I'm not sure anybody's given up on anybody yet, but the fact is, it's 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 closer in that the industry. I'm gonna get in trouble here. The industry pays little more than lip service to the garden. Well, and now, is, is is that a byproduct? And, and and we talk a lot about this on the podcast. Is this again another example of where the agricultural roots, literally? of horticulture show themselves again. That a lot of the plants that have been selected over forever were really just about the best yield plant, the best production plant, the best plant in that well, sector, and not really necessarily the plant that the gardener loved the most, okay. but the plant that okay. the grower liked the most. Okay. And the answer is yes and no. And again, I don't mean we wish you lost, but let's, let's face it. Okay, let's talk about any industry, any industry at all, whether it's a washing machines or cars or cereal or whatever, has to have new products. They just have to. They have to have something to talk about. Whether who needs a, a you know who needs another damn phone? I mean, my iPhone seven is perfectly good. Why need an iPhone ten for? So, but every industry must have that because nobody is asking, "Hey, what's old?" They're always asking, "Hey, what's new?" So, having said that. And I and I and look, I'm very positive about our industry and about the the the, the gardeners, the landscapers. Is I'm very positive on what I see out there, but that doesn't mean that it is any different than any other industry. I mean, they don't throw a you know, a new Volkswagen at you or a, or a or a new I don't know Chevy at you just because it's it's much much better than what you have. Uh, it's it's something that may be a little bit better than what you have, but the fact is you 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 could probably still drive the other car just fine. And the same thing is true with plants. So yes, to answer your question, many of the new plants, many and many of the new plants were developed uh, oftentimes so that they would get off the greenhouse bench. <clears throat> excuse me, get off the greenhouse bench faster, so that they would have a bit redder flower that would look better at retail. Uh, that doesn't mean these are bad plants, but oftentimes, if you are going to make sales to the greenhouse industry, you can't have something that sits on a bench for 10 weeks when I can develop something equally good that sits on the bench for six weeks. So that may be one of the things that you're talking about. That has nothing to do with the garden. So, <laughs> Steve, I can go on forever here. No, uh, well, that, that, no, that's, that, well, that, and that, I, that, like, me. we'll pick one of them. <laughs> no, completely, <laughs> Alan, keep going. Stop okay, me. so because let's, it, I, I'm going to pick on one that I know that, that you've spoken about before. So Echinacea purpurea, for those of you that don't know, yeah. this is the purple cone flower. We've all seen it. It's pretty ubiquitous in the uh, gardening plant world for people. However, there was a big push to develop new colors, introductions, and one of the things everyone who listens always hears me talk about that I find interesting and very helpful in plants is just learning the parentage of a plant. What, where is this one from in the world? What climate does it typically like? And one of the mistakes that was made with echinacea in breeding was to get these new color palettes that were going to be exciting and sexy. They hybridized it with echinacea species from other parts of the world, unlike purpurea, that were not cold hardy. Talk us through that. Like, how does that process happen, in your opinion, Alan? That we get these plants onto the market that because they have this sexy factor to them, 
mm-hmm. but didn't mm-hmm. have that practicality of, oh, wait, is this actually going to do well in a gardener's garden? Mm-hmm. Well, well, first of all, Steve, what you have to understand is that, in, is that horticulture, I know you understand, but your, your listeners understand, horticulture is global, yet gardening you know, is, is, is local. So to develop an echinacea, it is maybe developed by, uh, I mean, echinacea examples developed here in the, in the United States, many of the new cultivars, but, you know, it, it was developed for the country, so to speak. And Kansas is a whole lot different than Nashville, which is a whole lot different than, than, than Duluth. So, you know, they don't all do well, as you would hope they would, even though, and the, and, and the mistake isn't, well, part of the mistake, <laughs> we'll go back to the breeding, in a minute. but the mistake is in the market. It's marketed as a fabulous plant for everybody. It is the greatest new peach-colored echinacea ever, and you're all going to like it. Well, the fact is that it just isn't true. And that's probably not true for 99% of the plants we have. But in the echinacea in particular, and I've, and I've talked about it, I've written in, in books and everything else, and everything. whenever people talk about it on my app, I've got it, that the breeding of purple coneflower was improved dramatically, uh, I think, in, with better purples and better whites. That's what purpurea is, purple, and there's also a white oxygen. Those are the tough old birds. And so we had more compact, we had more flowering, we had prettier purples or whatever. And then, uh, as you mentioned, other species that were orange, for example, or yellow, were, were incorporated into the purpurea gene bank. Now, they may be equally hardy, but they're certainly not as vigorous. And so all of a sudden, we have a really cool peach-colored echinacea that looks good, but doesn't come back next spring. It just isn't as vigorous going into the winter. And, and that was a huge problem, and it still is a huge problem. And if anybody should ask me, which, as my daughter might do, which coneflower should I get? I say, Heather, simply get a purple or a white. And there's dozens of them out there. When you get to the fancy colors, as you mentioned, Steve, it is great breeding. My God, these are spectacular plants. But they're not great performance in many parts of the country. And that is all about marketing. And you're never going to stop a breeder from just doing this. That's sort of like in, in their bloodstream. they got to cross every damn thing known to man and see what they come up with. But uh, having said that, you know, I think these things are sorting themselves out. But you're right. It does turn people off when you buy some plants let me, and they let, die on you. Let me share something with you from one of the podcasts with uh, both Michael Marriott from David Austin and also Rebecca Reed Mm -hmm. that I found really interesting. When David Austin was doing his breeding work, it was such a long literal process for him that we're talking decades Mm -hmm. from when he really had success with Graham Thomas in the UK in the early 1980s. But there was a 25, almost 30-year period before Graham Thomas, Alan. That was the period that people don't really talk about. That he was very concerned about the garden performance of a plant, mm-hmm. but not necessarily how the plant looked at the garden center. Right. And right. there was a learning curve for them to try to balance that. Do you, we look to the future that we're currently living in almost, Alan, as the future seems like it, it comes on faster mm-hmm. every day. Oh, it's here. That it's here, sure. The days of 
people not being able to quickly access what a plant will look like in two or three weeks in their garden is here. And this push to always make sure that it has this impulse buy at the garden center, that the way it looks in a pot, the way it stands, the way everything, uh, Baptisia is an example of this too, that it doesn't look great in the garden center. So people wouldn't buy it. And buyers for garden centers shied away from these type plants. Mm -hmm. Are we getting Mm -hmm. to a point where maybe we can leave some of that mythology behind us and go, you know, our our consumer has access to more the the largest database of information ever in history (laughs) in their hip pocket. We may not need to think of them in that way that they can't see what that plant is going to look like in their garden. It doesn't have to be this miraculous thing that's going to bloom for two days when they get it home because the best the plant had to offer was done at the garden center. Um, yeah, uh, uh, you know, the, it is a different world than it was in Grand Store Thomas's time. It just is different. Uh, everything is different about how we do business today, even compared to 30 years ago or 20 years ago. Uh, so, so to, to be perfectly blunt, I think that we're, the garden center is going to want to plant that looks good in a container. And that is, for better or for worse, one of the breeding objectives to make sure the plant looks good in the container. That doesn't mean it has to flower itself out or be a terrible plant. It means it might be flowering a little earlier than the same one did five years ago. I just think that that is the way of, that this is the way it is. I mean, it's, 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 if I showed you, you know, a car with a dent in it, but it's still a great car, you say, well, it's got a dent. Uh, the, 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 so, so to answer that point, I think that's just going to continue. And I think as, as the older generation gets older and the younger generation comes up, you know, like you, I mean, they've been weaned on social media and everything on social media is golly gee whiz, look at this now. And so I think that that is not going to get any better. I, 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 you know, you say, um, that it, 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 it must be something like a, like 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 a like a sucker that tastes good right away, um, and it, it may be so. But 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 having said that, I still believe that the performance of plants that a garden, a decent garden center has, is still as important, if not much more so, to the comebackness of their customers. In other words, if they if they throw something out there they know is a dog. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. If anybody in your audience goes to a garden center, anybody that has a winter, goes to a garden center in the fall and buys a fancy echinacea, it'll die. Okay, it's gone. You, you, you waste your money. So a, a garden center shouldn't have a fancy echinacea to sell you in the fall. They can have the purples and the whites. So. The gardens, you know, I, things have changed for sure. Um, Baptismate, but why do you think, why do you think, Steve, there's been such a huge influx and success, I may add, of mail order plants? Because it's got a picture. And so the people are actually buying the picture. So it can come into their, when it's delivered, this cruddy little four-inch pot with a bit of green. Yes. But. It will be the picture. Well, and I think, uh, and that that is a big push. I think of the moment, Alan, that you 
do you have a consumer out there? And this is one of the things I, I also want to branch us into. I don't feel the industry, we'll keep using this word, as you say, whatever that means, right? The people that mm-hmm. try to sell you plants, the people that grow the plants to sell you plants, the people mm-hmm. that breed plants to sell you plants, has done a great job of selling anything but very practical. There are so many plants in the universe compared to other objects yeah. you buy that get better. There's not much you buy in life that gets better three years after you right. purchased it, but a right. good plant does. And Absolutely. there is a lean now because of online presence of people showing these things that you can buy this, as you said, this very typically you'd think of a four inch little band pot plant that you purchase and you may be paid a ridiculously high price because it's some kind of rarity. <laughs> you'd be like, what is this? But it's that image of the future that gets you excited. But that's the thing that you're really buying. You're, you're not buying the yeah, plant. You're buying, you're buying the, the promise sure. of the plant. Of course. That we of are course, seeing sure. a lot of that. And how does, yeah. how does the independent garden center, we'll, we'll, we'll speak to big box stores as a separate category because it's a completely sure. separate, okay. separate beast. But sure. how does the independent garden center get away from more of the commodities they have typically brought in and start replacing it with maybe these more magical plants that were a little bit more towards the future eye, like we're talking about. They don't, uh, and and it doesn't mean they they can't. But I I, I think that what we are against here, um, the people who are buying that little four inch pot that comes in the mail who have gone through the catalogs are gardeners. These are people that, that have the juice. They like this stuff. They want it. They don't care if they pay $25 because it's something new and different and golly gee whiz. And I'm among those for sure. The person who goes, regardless, I mean, everybody who goes to a garden center has probably gone to a box store. Okay, so, so you know, the people aren't all that different. There are many who go to a bar, who go to a garden center and say, "Well, I'd never buy anything from a box store, but eh, maybe so, maybe not." But the fact is that the garden center still has to sell plants, and the people that go into the garden center may not recognize this great new fabulous thing. Now, the garden center can certainly sell some or, or, or display some, but let's let's let's. And again, please stop me if I if I get off course here. But let's take that garden center bench. Okay, that bench costs a certain amount of money, and to move plants off that bench uh, is a good thing because then you can put more plants on the bench and sell more plants. Okay, so I have a choice on that garden bench now to put hellebores, which is by the great the great new plant of of the decade here. Uh, I can put hellebores on that bench, which still are. Little bit unknown to many people, or I can put on. Oh, let's just use Baptista as an example. But uh, uh, it, 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 it looks it looks terrible in a pot. It just does. But I know Baptistias are going to last forever. The hellebores are going to be cool, but they may not last as long. But people are going to take the hellebores off the bench much more rapidly than they're going to take the Baptistias, and certainly much more rapidly than these new cool plants that nobody's ever heard of that you're referring to. Uh, are going to move off the bench. So it says, well, what do I put on there? Um, And hopefully there's always a space for that really new, cool, oh, uh, 
Podophyllum or, or, yeah. or May apples, some really cool May apples out there. But you know, they, it costs the garden center a fair amount of money to get those because they're they're not they're not a commodity. It costs a fair amount of money for the buyer to buy them, and they don't know what they are. So why not just put more hellebores in the bench, or more pansies, or more zinnias, or more whatever, where people get them, and hope you got the best pansy and the best zinnia. Well, so that, that that's the issue. I, I don't mean to say that garden centers don't. Many garden centers would love to do that. Well, it, and let's let's walk that topic over to the big box stores. One of my concerns in two fronts, but we'll tackle the brick and mortar one first, then we'll tackle the the online concern, Alan. The big box stores, in my experience running the nursery, here is, and I'm not going to put you in a position where you have to say this, Alan, but I'll say it for us. (laughs) I'm already doing it. The the independent garden centers had a, in my opinion, a large amount of arrogance, in particular towards the big box stores. There was a belief system on their part that the big box stores could not compete with them, that customers Mm -hmm. liked them more, that customers would remain loyal, that they were providing a service that the big box store didn't. I don't believe any of that was true. The big box stores on the whole, of course, there are exceptions to every rule, and there are fantastic independent garden centers across the country in certain cities. But what they didn't respect enough about the two big box stores in Home Depot and Lowe's was their understanding of price, logistics, transportation, the movement of product across the country. And as that 2009 housing bubble burst, independent garden centers were not prepared for what came after that, where Home Depot in particular, I mean, if you look at Home Depot's earnings from this year alone, uh, it's incredibly high people, by the way, stock tips from Steve at Natchez Glenn. They really didn't respect them enough, in my opinion, Alan. And now mm-hmm. Home Depot and Lowe's are a little bit in the driver's seat because they are reaching more customers. Like you mentioned, they are the, the gorilla in the room mm-hmm. at this stage. Mm-hmm. And are you concerned because of that, they're going to set a lot of the tone for the plants that we see moving forward. Because if you are a grower, a breeder, like you said, that's who you're, that's where your money's going to be made, people. You've got these yep. student loans coming out of Hort School where Alan taught you at Georgia. And now you're like, I got to pay for these student loans now. And <laughs> the way I'm going to do that is if we can move hundreds of thousands, if not millions of units of a plant through the big box stores versus the independent garden centers. Where do we see that, Alan? Is that a... In the world of healthy horticulture, we'll call it that again, is that a good thing that they're going to set the tone for so much? Mm, in the world of healthy horticulture, no. Uh, but, but again, let's, let's put it in perspective. You're, you, you may be quite correct in, in, in your belief that there was little respect for the box stores by the independent guards. Uh, because, you know, like you say, I've been here forever. They always come to me, yada, yada. But, you know, loyalty is, a, is, is, a, is more of a word than it is a belief, I think. And so certainly people would go over there. The other thing that's, and again, this has been, this has been a, an evolution, 20, 30 years uh, or more, uh, where, you know, the box stores came in and say, well, you know, as, as many of you who shop in box stores, uh, understand that if you're there when the truck arrives, that's great because the product is just fine. 
whether it is the product you're looking for or not, but it's just fine, but they have no earthly idea how to take care of it. Whereas the garden center supposedly has professionals and supposedly has staff that knows a little bit more about care, maintenance, and what you do with your garden. Today, and again, gosh, just think how just think how society has changed, Steve. You know, you know, student loans aside, mortgages and two cars and two jobs, and you know, it's just there's just not that much time. Not that there ever was supposedly, but there's not that much time that people are, you know, going to spend a, a, a lot of time perusing what is the best variety and what is the best plant. Uh, so if it looks good, <laughs> if it looks good in the container, which is what Lowe's and Home Depot are all about, if it looks good in the container, poof, off it goes. So they are setting the tone already. There is no doubt that, as you mentioned, if I am breeding a new plant and I have a chance of selling 1000 to the local garden center or 100000 to the Home Depots, I will choose $100,000. Uh, I mean, maybe. I mean, more than likely, I will at least look at it seriously. So. A lot of the new plants that are coming in, believe it or not, are actually going to the box stores before they're going to the independent garden centers. But let me now, let me just take a deep breath here and say, having said that, and you mentioned it, there are a ton of great independent garden centers out there who care every bit about, you know, the gardener and, and, and the gardener's daughter and everything else uh, as they did before. Uh, and it's an evolution. Many garden centers went out of business because of the box stores and many other reasons as well, uh, the, 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 the housing bubble, et cetera. Many garden centers are out of business, but those that remained or those that are back, uh, I think are terrific. So there is a place for both. And I think what we have to understand is, is that there will, there will be both of these in there and there will be healthy competition. Uh, and, and there are, there are places, as you know, in the Northeast, in the Midwest, uh, not so much in the South, but where, you know, Home Depot, Lowe's, or whoever they are, as, as good a job as they do, they don't compete at all with some of the garden centers. So um, I, I think they'll be there. I, I, it, it's just now, uh, the, the you know, the David and Goliaths are, are sort of living side by side. Now. Well, and now we're out of time where one, oh. of the, one of the other, <laughs> no, the, one of the other things for me that I really want to get across to people so also putting your, your thinking caps here, people. So in 2008, 2009, when that happens, the housing bubble, and this has been a consistent topic on the podcast, Alan, that yeah, yeah. it really rattled the horticulture industry. It surely did. And the thing that is not talked about, there were two other byproducts that happened right on that timeline. There was a huge spike in fuel cost. There was also this thing called the iPhone and Steve Jobs doing a keynote introducing it in 2007. And that didn't just rattle the horticultural industry, that rattled every industry, and in particular, brick and mortar retail. And then we had this guy named Bezos come along who rattled it mm -hmm. yet again. So we're seeing a lot of moving pieces in this story of where the horticulture industry is. And then by a result of that, how that impacts existing gardeners, soon-to-be gardeners, aspirational gardeners, people that like to take pictures of themselves with flowers on Instagram, however you want to label yourself. It's really changed the dynamic of how plants are seen in the world. What I want to shift us into, and I'm, I'm 
always prepping for podcast, it feels like now, Alan, because we have a really good guest list all the time with people like yourself. I've been researching Crate Dixter for an upcoming podcast and Christopher Lloyd, who was was really responsible for for what Great Dixter eventually became in the UK. Mm -hmm. And it has struck me in the last couple of weeks of doing a lot of research. And when I say I do a lot of research, Alan, I, I mean, I consume every piece of content humanly known about every person. I've watched every piece of content that was available online, Alan, of yours. I have now listened or read. So we're in good shape for this podcast. So I've done the okay. same. I do the same thing with Christopher Lloyd. Well, Christopher Lloyd was really in his very British way, very opinionated about plants. Mm-hmm. He was not mm-hmm. afraid to sort of rattle the, the chain of what was conventionally thought of as tasteful. I think he actually has a quote that says, uh, anyone that thinks they're doing something in good taste is actually distasteful, which I really got a kick out of. Why hasn't that translated that much into this modern era of plants? That it almost, when I look at a lot of the content that's out there, about gardening and plants and horticulture, it's a real love fest 24-7. And I feel like somebody like Christopher Lloyd adding this voice that was like, you know what? Just love gardening. Grow the plants you want to grow. Take some of the framework and rigidity and rules out of this was a healthy thing that I don't feel like I see a lot of now. Uh, But, you know, but but, yeah, you're, you're right. And I say, in all due respect, it's there. Um, I would think, Steve, that it, it, with, with your attitude about love of, of plants, I mean, let's, let's put it in perspective. I mean, we all have lives, and hopefully we're, we're not so crazy that when, you know, people approach us, they're afraid of us because we're spouting botanical names or something. But the fact is, there's a lot of people that just, are the Christopher Lloyd. There's a lot of opinionated people out there in horticulture, I guarantee you. And I'm certainly one of them. There's, there's, there's a lot of opinionated people. And, and you know, Christopher Lloyd and, and the whole great Dixer thing, they have a history. They've been doing this for a long time. People tend to listen. Um, but, but and, and, and just <laughs> Americans seem to think if you have an English accent, you must know something about gardening. You and I, by the way, you you and I, by the way, are both at a huge disadvantage. It's funny you say that, Alan, because I had that exact same thought in listening to all the content and reading all the content on Christopher Lloyd. I said I may need to work on my British accent. I may. There's there's a certain panache that it adds to the conversation when you say Dahlia instead of Dahlia. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a gossipy. No, there. And and but but having said that. Uh, I, and I, if you go out and give a talk to a group, I'm sure you're hitting those gardeners. I mean, I'll open my garden, which is, which is just a crappy little garden here. It's not very big or anything else, but I'll open it up and people will just come in and just, just love the stuff. But there's not as many as there used to be. I just, it's just, that's just the way, the way life is. There's not as many. If you go give a, if you give a talk today, if I give a talk today to a, to a okay, well, lack of a better term, garden club or master gardeners or whatever. You know, there's not a whole lot of 20-year-olds in that audience, 30-year-olds, or even 40-year-olds. So, I mean, they will get there. Uh, you know, people gnash their teeth for young people. All I say is let them grow up. They will get there. They may not be your grandmother, but they will get there with, you know, 
at least an appreciation, if not a love affair, with plants and living things. And, and uh, you know, I wish they would get there quicker, but but I, I'm, I have just in, I'm very very positive about the future. I believe you are. Uh, you know, I, I believe you are one hundred percent correct, Alan. But let me let uh, me let me give you a, a shade of opinion here. I think one of the things that makes Christopher Lloyd so effective, and a lot of the uh, really well respected British garden authors, horticulturalists, whatever category we want to lump them into, uh-huh. is they speak to plants and the word gardening uh-huh. instead of a yard, right? Uh-huh. There's subtle differences that it adds a whimsy and a magic to it. When in the United Mm -hmm. States, we call it a yard, landscaping. (laughs) It's very practical. And what I I mentioned to you before we started recording, what has really given me a lot of enthusiasm is so many people who are getting interested in plants. And one of the things I talk about here is how the woodland fairies help out. And we have a lot of magic. And then we just try to balance that with really good horticultural fundamentals. What, what gives there? Why is, you know, this is an industry that we'll talk again, the industry, the horticultural side of it, a lot of acronyms, a lot of jargon, a lot of this, a lot of that, but maybe not that whimsy magic thing that really sells in particular in an Instagram universe. Yeah. Uh- well, first of all, well, I can't, I can't disagree with everything you're saying. I'm, I'm not exactly sure where you're going on this, but the, the Instagram universe. I mean, how much you want to talk about something that wasn't there ten years ago? Uh, you know, so talking talking to the plant and to the garden, um, there 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 really aren't that. You're right. There are not that many of us. But then again, there weren't that many Christopher Lloyds either, or Grant Stewart Thomases, or Helen Dillons, or whatever else. Uh, but and there are fewer of them today. I guarantee you that. But the fact is that I, I just, I just think it's something that you, you know, I mentioned this juice thing that you have it or you don't. Okay, but but people who enjoy just going out and working in the garden, and it is work, um, are, are still numerous. They're not as many as they used to be, perhaps, but given the time constraints and given the differences in the way in which we run our lives, um, I think gardening is just one of those grand things that breathes life back into the soul. And it, it may not have as big a wind as it used to be, but I, 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 I think it's just it's still there. This whole Instagram thing, Steve, I don't even understand it. Uh, so what you're saying, I'm sure, is correct. I, um, if I have to live through pictures, then I'm not living very well. Well, let me, that's my opinion. No, no let, me, let, me, let me give you an example, Alan. And, and we're going to get really deep here, people, and I'm about to lose myself a job. So feel good in that, Alan. In no, this God, podcast, no, I, I, decided, I decided <laughs> we'll meet each other somewhere in the unemployment line. So <laughs> let's, uh, I was doing local news gardening segments uh, for a station here in Nashville. And the last one that we did was on potted mums for fall mums, like what you're going to do with your mums in the fall, how to plant, what to do after they're done blooming, everything else. And I had this moment, Alan, where I'm talking, right? And I know you've had this experience where I thought to myself, 
if I was being completely transparent and honest here, what I would say is Mm -hmm. I hate these mums, never buy them. (laughs) They shouldn't be out in front of a grocery store. There are so many better varieties of mums on the planet that you don't even know. I could sit here for an hour and call up my friend Brian at King's Mums in Oklahoma, and he and I will hook you up with great mums. But these are not those mums. That's what I wanted to say. Right. right? That's what I wanted to say in that experience. And let me run this by you. I think that type of content that historically has been out there, not just for gardening, but almost anything you can think of, that very formulated, rigid, and now we're going to give you the top 22 perennials for this spring Mm -hmm. that has been produced for decades on decades is probably out of touch. How do well, we how do we get past that a little bit? There is still a place for informational content that helps people out through the process, but that really preconceived, repetitious, we've seen this kind of content year after year after year, like that segment I was doing on chrysanthemums. I, you know, the, the, the mom thing, I just love what you said, because together we will we'll turn off every person who produces mums but uh and, and and but people want that that that's 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 why there are lists of the top 20 perennials and the the best pollinators and and the best you know deer resistant people want that stuff how do we know uh, that for, though i guess that's my well, question because, also Alan. well i guess that's a good question i guess did you hear the chicken of the egg do they want it because it's in front of them or are we, yes <laughs> yeah I, I agree but but well put it this way um, well, who the hell knows, but the fact is, if I do make it, people just seem to like it. Um, you know, okay. People say, well, can I, can you tell me the, what do you think is going to be the great new plants next year? Or, or can you tell me just some great plants for my garden? Cause I really want to put some things in, but I don't know quite what they are. And so I can make a list of the, of the best plants that I think and people like them, but you know, then you go online and you say, Tell me the ten most popular perennials, and they're all trash. And 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 uh, so I, I I think people. Uh, I just I, let me let me just backtrack a little bit. I think what we and I'll say we whoever we are, as an industry or as a group of communicators or botanists or scientists, we have made this gardening thing way too complicated. We have made, we have, there are actually at least five and maybe six now books on gardening for dummies. I mean, and they all average 200 some odd pages. I mean, what self-respecting dummy is going to buy a 200 page book on gardening for dummies and then go to the next one? I mean, truly. So we have made it so complicated. The whole botanical name thing. And again, I would love to, to rant and rave with you about we turn off more people on gardening than we turn them on. Because they're frightened. You know, you know I, can I tell you a story about my daughter? I don't know how much time. Yes, we have plenty of time. We have plenty of time. Uh, plenty but, of time well, uh, no, no, I don't know. But I got to tell you a story about my daughter. Who, My daughter, Heather, who's fabulous. And I have two daughters and a son. Yada, yada. And she says, she pulls me up one day. She says, Dad, I got an area in the shade. And I got a nice container that I like to put some things in. Can you tell me something to put in? And I'm excited as heck because, first of all, she's actually talking about a plant. And secondly, and more importantly, she's going to buy it herself. So this is cool. So 
So I say, Heather, why don't you try? This was at least 10 years ago. I say, Heather, why don't you try some of these new plants called coral bill? And your local garden center will have them. And this was when the thousands of these bloody eucharists were coming out. And so I, I, I know she says, okay, so I'm by the phone, like a high school kid waiting for somebody to call me for a date. You know, I'm by the phone and hoping Heather's going to call. And she finally calls and said, Heather, Heather, how did you do? She says, Dad, I, I went to the garden center. And I asked them for coral bells. I said, yeah, 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 get to the point. What'd you buy? What'd you buy? They took me there. And they had 50 beautiful coral bells. I said, yeah, 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 what'd you buy? I couldn't make up my mind, so I didn't buy any. This is a true story. And this is like you and me going out to buy ketchup. Or you and me going out to buy diapers. There's so many, we don't know which one to buy. And I think we made it so complicated in our zeal for having every single plant that we forget all Heather wants is a choice of five plants, maybe one that has bronze leaves, one that has green leaves, that the garden center has said, these are the best for your garden. She doesn't know and doesn't care and has no desire to learn 50 different varieties of coral bells. And, and I think that maybe that's a story whose time has run out. Maybe we're getting smarter. Um, but, you know, whether it's, I'm redoing my big book on perennials and the number of cultivars, I want to tell you, number of varieties has just skyrocketed. See, that is not so, it. See, and that is where I get concerned that we're not selling the love, the concept. No, I know. We're, oh, selling, I we're selling product. And it becomes this, like you're saying with, with Heather, that there is this angst now associated yeah. with it this, <laughs> this isn't like a, this isn't a fun thing for me this no. is a oh my gosh <laughs> options overload uh is there it can is. i take it d is. none of the above and yeah. Yeah. that difference in what i i think we're seeing is it's that again that practicality gene that is built into the industry for some reason that we're not getting people like your daughter like whomever else here, here's something that's very interesting that I'm doing right now. This is going to bridge into Heather and the same choice that she had. So, so many people have seen cut flowers on Instagram. This is definitely, if there has been growth in the cut flower industry, anyone says it's not because of Instagram is clearly just not paying attention. It is solely responsible for the popularity of local boutique cut flowers. Because okay. of that, there are a lot of people attempting at home to grow things from seed because one mm -hmm. of the yep. very yep. popular Instagram accounts sells seeds. So people get into this journey. Now, keep this in mind. You and I know this, Alan, that growing seeds at scale, we're talking hundreds of little baby seedlings, is not always a part-time gig. It becomes a bit of a job. It becomes a bit of an infrastructure issue. What do I do with these seedlings to harden them off? What do I do with this? What do I do with that? But people are doing it because they're not buying the seed and that process. They're buying it because of that beautiful photo they saw of that uh, corn poppy on Instagram, right? But the problem is that's what they're buying, but the experience they're having is not that. They're not falling in love with the experience of cooking, let's say right? They're not falling in love with that. They're falling in love with the beauty shot 
of the food that comes to the table, not the actual act of cooking. And for me, that's what I see a lot of right now. I don't see people selling the idealism of gardening and horticulture, but we're just selling this end product that in many cases can actually run people off because they don't know those hookahs. You have to pick one at least. You have to know something about it, maybe just a tad or the one that really strikes your eye or that if I'm going to grow this from seed, I have to enjoy the whole process, not just the end result. Where do we go with that? How how are we not selling the process and the idea as much as just that finish? <laughs> you just said it. You got all these. <laughs> I, I, okay. So this, this, I don't want to get into social media too deeply because a, I don't, I, I'm terrible. I have somebody does my Facebook for me. I don't know Instagram. I do YouTube. I'm good at that. But I, I, I to me, this whole social media thing is exploding in, in our faces. And I, I, I sound like an old man talking like this. Uh, but I, you know, I, I had a good friend not so long ago uh, stay over here. She's a horticulturist, but she's a social media guru. And, and uh, I mean, she was taking pictures of her bloody dinner and her martini and her. And, you know, I mean, I, I just I, it, so I mean, if, if you have that mindset where Instagram is actually real, then I don't think you're ever gonna. I don't think we're ever going to be able to <laughs> help you out very much. Because, you know, putting a seed in the ground, I think it's just, a, I mean, lots of people love that. I have friends, also friends, that I give them little seed packets that come in or give them a seed catalog. They just love this stuff. And they just love to play with it. But they're not doing it professionally. And they're not sowing, you know, a thousand seeds or something. They're sowing 10. Um, and and they truly do love that. And so I, I don't know how we, I don't know how you separate, you know, a, a, a love of putting something in the ground and watching it come up from why isn't it what the picture says? Uh, I, I, I think there's some responsibility at the end user, too. I mean, they can't blame us because they expect the food to be on their table from coming down from heaven. Somebody has to cook it. Well, and, uh, and, and the and same well, is true in horticulture. Let me share this with you. That's really an interesting part of the process here at Natchez Glen. Very early on in my use of social media, I was not present, right? You had no idea who was behind Natchez Glen. You just saw pretty pictures of flowers, right? right? That's what the feed was. In August of last year, I began working with a lot of Instagram content creators. The the word that some of them find offensive is influencer, right? Because they have influence, Alan, over their Instagram audience. One of them came here, uh, Landon, shout out to Landon, and she does a lot of just talking to her phone, right? She's, she's sort of showing you the behind the scenes of what she's interested in. In her case, it's like home decor and fashion, but a lot of it's just like reality television almost, Alan. It's just like her life. Well, I started, I, I, I saw how impactful she was with her audience. It wasn't just me watching her do it. It was then mm-hmm. me partnering with her and seeing literally thousands of people started following us that day, Alan, from her coming out mm-hmm. to Natchez Glen and talking about what we were doing here. So immediately, as someone who is a, a follower of things, all things sports, Alan, I copycatted it. I was like, if that wins, I'm doing that. So 
I had a background in it, so it made it really easy for me to try and make that transition. But I think what it does show is people are a little interested in the behind the scenes of the flower, right? To use that yep. analogy. that They're yep. not just all about the, the glamour shot at the end of the day. They're a little bit, you know, unlike the Upton Sinclair, they do want to know how the sausage is made. They, they do want to see that. They do want to maybe have that experience that gives them something a little bit deeper. And my point in sharing this is, I think that's a mistake too of the horticultural industry, that it is such a visual medium. It has so much behind the scenes that sometimes we may need to pull back that curtain and talk about these things, like I, I mentioned earlier, in a little bit more of a transparent way about failures with plants, not just successes, about some of the contrarian views on things. That there seems like there is just this well of content that we could tap into that not a lot of people have so far. Yeah, uh, I, I think it'd be great. I'd love, love to talk to you about behind the scenes and how a plant actually comes to market. You know, how does it happen? I'd love to talk to the group about, you know, what's it take to grow a plant? I mean, what is this stuff called a growth regulator? There's a ton of things behind that curtain that people, tr and I agree with you, truly, you take a group of people who are just listening to this and you say, come on, let's go to this greenhouse and I'll show you around. I mean, their mouths are open the whole way that they never realized. And you're talking about cut flowers. I mean, what goes into making, you know, a cut flower in a vase? It, it's it's really cool. It really is interesting. So I don't disagree at all. How we do that? Well, I guess I'd use Steve. You're the man. Well, because I definitely need that Instagram lady over here. Because I have no idea. How to well, do that well, and, well, and here, so so let's <laughs> let's transition this into, into this is a really poignant topic. I think and and Alan, I was really well aware of your work and reputation before uh, doing the podcast, but something I did not know. I, this was this was just maybe it's because again I maybe I leaned a little bit technical in a lot of my horticultural research on subjects throughout the years that you did a specialty cut flower book in 1993, which mm -hmm. if we look at the if you look at the current timeline and everyone that listens knows this is one of my huge pet peeves with the Instagram side of the flower gardening world, Alan, that there are some people in that world of Instagram who are very popular who act like they invented the cut flower and that they invented specialty cut flowers. How in 1993 did you arrive at thinking there was a need for a book on this particular subject? Take me back to that process of thinking <laughs> about that book. I don't think you have enough time for all of this, Steve. Oh, we yeah, have so much time, Alan. Yeah. Alan, we're not yeah, even at I Michael. Know, I don't know if I have enough time for all of this. <laughs> but, but, but. But, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, the fact is that when I was, <laughs> by the way, and maybe you can even get people interested in some of the, the books I've done, but I did a book on how I got here from there. And, and, and I, I, you know, this whole Specialty Cut Floor book was another book that I'd done. But the fact is that uh, when I was coming up as a young researcher and a young uh, professor of horticulture, one and I'll just tell you the story without too many of the background. One of the things I did is I wanted to travel and see what was going on in the rest of the world, and so I went to Europe, and as we all do, and visited. But I was very much just in the industry as opposed to the garden at that time, 
And one of the things that I was interested in was the whole, you know, in Holland anyway, the whole bulb production cycle and how they did it, mostly because I was interested. But what what when the light bulb went off was if you go to Holland and see their cut flower productions, uh, they do a ton of it in the greenhouse. And you've had the good fortune of seeing the cut flower markets in places like Alsmere and all. You know they really take this stuff seriously. And uh, But one of the things I... I was told and shown by the bulb growers was that in the off season, they take all these fields and they make cut flowers and they put cut flowers in the fields uh, when the bulbs aren't there. And, and uh, I said, well, that's, that's cool. And I said, what do you do with them? Well, we call them specially cut flowers. And you know, they're, they're not just the big carnations and roses and mums. There are all these other things, perennials and annuals. And they started selling more and more. In fact, some of the guest growers were actually doing a lot more of this outdoor, dusty cut flower production. So that's when I went back and started doing the research at Georgia. We did a lot of research to make this book happen in the 80s and all. Uh, and we started the Dusty Cut Flower Association for growers uh, who are growing cut flowers in the field or the greenhouse. And that book was uh, the result of our research. And since that time, the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers is now about 1,500 members, um, and people growing cut flowers over the country. So it was an idea that I guess I stole uh, from the from the Dutch, but an idea that had not had any seed germination in this country. So it was it was <laughs> it wasn't brand new research. I guess it was just a brand new way of of showing that we can do the same kind of thing. And 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 to answer your question, how did I know? Boy, did people respond. You know, there's never a cut flower conference, outdoor cut flower conference ever in this country. And we had our first one in the late 80s, and people from all over the country showed up. And they were just so happy that someone was actually talking about this. So, you know, those, those, that's way something that just happened. How do you feel, though, now, I'm curious, that it's it has become very popular but your name's not associated with it as much. I mean, well, do, do you, okay. I mean, how do you feel about that? I, I mean, cause it's, it was interesting <laughs> to me that I didn't know that. And I know I, I'm pretty well on these subjects, Alan. So it was surprising to me. Are you, well, do you think it was maybe just a few years ahead of its time almost? That oh, it, it was way ahead. Of, no, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was way ahead of its time, I suppose. But its time had to be sometime. The, no, I, I mean, you're right. And I, what happened with, with me is I had a very, very competent uh, young lady who was working with me as my technician, and she took this whole idea because I started doing other things in my research programs. And uh, she took it on and became this association that we all started. And I was very much involved in for many years. Um, they still have an Allen Armitage scholarship from the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. And, you know, I think those people who are in it, well, the new people don't know me from Adam's house yet, but that's okay. Uh, I, and that book, by the way, uh, it was in a second edition, and it's still selling well. It's still the number one book for those who wish to grow cut flowers, uh, you know, how to get the seed up or how, to, how much was your yield going to be and stuff like that. So, you know, I don't know if I'm forgotten or not. I don't really care. The fact is, I know this has happened. I know it's a great legacy that I was part of. And so, um, you know, what happens, happens. Well, yeah. for, for any of you that don't know, Alan, 
I, I see this with Alan's work a lot in reviewing things for the podcast. You definitely, and you're almost a little reluctant occasionally, Alan, to do this. I, I notice in all the talks that you give, Alan has been very forward thinking, much like I mentioned Christopher Lloyd, on a lot of these subjects, like cut flowers. But I think you are so prolific that, like you said, you move on to a lot of other things. You're, you're like, okay, I'm working on this. Now I'm working on this. Mm-hmm. How have you balanced that time? Throughout your career, you have written books that that range the gamut from something like Specialty Cut Flowers to your your books on perennials, which you have a, a more advanced, I think, as you refer to it, as your your four O uh, subject versus your one O subject as far as perennial guides go. How have you made those decisions on when to go to this and when to go to that, and your your general flow in the topics you've tackled? Well, I I, I um. I, I wish I had a a template or a game plan. Um, you know, our greatest American philosopher was a fellow by the name of Yogi Berra. And when Yogi Berra said, when the path forked, take it, has been my philosophy in life. Now, I know that doesn't, I know it's kind of a silly thing to say, and I... <laughs> Even a graduation talk, I, 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 the parents go crazy when I say this. I say, you know, you don't know what your kids are going to do, but don't worry, they will find it because the path will fork and they will take it. And it's every single person in this audience, and you included, have taken paths they didn't really realize were set out there for them. And you could have taken the path, or maybe you decided not to, but it's there. And so how I got to where I am, and again, <laughs> I've written a book about this as well, but how I've gotten to where I am, like when I was the first, again, not the first guy, I, mean, I was one of the very first people to talk about perennials, um, you know, as, as an important plant, not just for the industry, but for, I mean, perennials have been around forever, but, you know, I'm told that I brought it up to another level with the books and all, and it just happened, and nobody was doing research on perennials at all in the horticultural institutions. And so I started doing it. And all of a sudden, I had a following. All of a sudden, we were talking about, you know, Baptistias that nobody ever heard of. And it's one of our finest native plants. Uh, so I got that. And I started doing research on, on, on some breeding of new plants. It just happened, uh, Steve. And, and uh, I've been fortunate that I guess the paths I've taken have, have yielded some, some, some pretty good fruit. Now, you are, this, this is also fascinating. This is a dichotomy, Alan, that you're about to represent for us. You're not really super comfortable with Instagram and social media, but you have worked on an app to develop it. Oh, yeah. And and I'm gonna I'm oh, gonna yeah. say this to to everyone that I think maybe again we're gonna see some mirroring here with the cut flower book. You're probably a little ahead of your time on on the app itself as well, especially for an industry, talk use the buzzword of industry again, that is a little slow to move forward with technology. That you very early were like, no, we need to get to this place. And what the app was, 2015, you worked on it at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, no, this this is me. I, you know, we've been talking. I, I I chat with a lot of people, and and I I'm very far, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I, you know, I'm able to travel and meet people, and you know, you're always going to learn at least one thing if you, if you go to a meeting or something, and 
you may be yawning a lot of it, but you'll learn something. You always do. It's obvious to me that we, as an industry, we talk really, really well to each other. We have these grand gatherings of new plants, and we have these grand places where we're all talking to each other about what we're doing, and, and we're very good at sharing. We're one of the best industries to share information. We really are. But talking to the gardener is really much more difficult for us as an industry. We don't know how to do it, quite truthfully. Uh, you know, you can, you know, Proven Winners is probably the best example of somebody who has really gotten out there and tried to reach the gardener. And, and you know, these numbers that people banty about, I got a million followers and I got two million. I mean, good grief. I mean, I have no idea what that means. Uh, but But the fact is that it's hard. So I said to myself, look, we moan and groan about young people, old people on the phone all the time. We just complain about why don't we get on the phone? So I developed an app, as you said, and um, it's for gardeners. It's for garden centers. It's, it, it's for landscapers. It's for anybody who touches plants. And it has pollinators on it. It has gear-resistant plants on it. It has every single plant a gardener is probably going to use on it, how-tos, but really simple for my daughters. Uh, I, I I use my daughters as my common denominator in that they want to know some they want to know uh, they want they want to know more but they don't want to know too much more <laughs> so uh, they're very hopefully easily read and and, uh, and and very convenient way but I call it back I call it back pocket horticulture uh, it's on your phone it's in your back pocket it's with you all the time and so I I, I don't know if we but certainly I've tried to reach the uh, the gardener and and given my opinion for what it's worth but uh there you go well that is in itself sort of an interesting point that why there are many people and maybe this is part of the the general theme of what we're talking about a lot here today alan the industry has been somewhat reluctant sometimes you know as you said people are the, at this point i mean any if anyone is arguing the uh the use of the smartphone, uh, you know, good luck to you and your, yeah. your, your current, you know, your future business practices. Yeah. Why is there still that resistance there sometimes in, in your opinion? I mean, is it just because of the nature of it, that it's a rooted in agriculture, a lot of longstanding legacy businesses and people that just that wheel is just slow to spin? The big movers and groovers, uh, other than box stores, they're the big buyers. But the big movers and groovers in the ornamental horticulture industry are the plant breeders, the, the people who bring new plants out, okay? Whether, and there's a number of great companies, Ball Seed uh, in, this, in, 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 this, in this country. You know, Proven Winners does some breeding, but they're more of a distribution center. Uh, but many in Europe, from Japan to, to, to uh, many in Europe and Japan and Canada, these, these people are bringing plants to, to, the, to the table. Okay. So they, these are the people that really influence on what's going to be on the garden center table or whatever else. These are the people that put the money into everything. They would love to reach consumers. They would. They, ball horticulture would love everybody to know that, uh, you know, their new pansy or junior is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And they do. They try to put it out in magazines and everything else. But it's just, a, it, it, if you want to talk about a, a hundred-legged octopus, it's, it's a consumer. Uh, it's hard to reach them. 
so it's a lot of money involved. And of course, with social media now, it's a whole lot, I guess, easier. I don't know if easier is the right word, but it's a whole lot more doable with social media than before. But nevertheless, if I asked, you know, 10 of your listeners to name three breeders in the world, they'd have a tough time. Uh, and and uh, because it's just difficult for them to reach the consumer. So they rely on people like you, Steve. They rely on people like me. They rely on on magazines like Fine Gardening, and they rely on, on well, podcasts, and they rely on Instagram, I suppose, to reach the consumer. But they themselves, they don't, they don't do a very good job of it. And let's, I don't let's, think it's not because they don't want to. Let's wrap up here, reach consumers a bit, Alan. So okay. if, there, if there is someone to do this with, you've written books on perennials. You've hmm. written books on cut flowers. Let's, let's go here. And let's bridge the gap between these two things. Give me your thoughts from like a grower perspective. I see a lot of people buying peonies as an example, right? Mm -hmm. as, as a cut flower. And a peony is a beautiful, magical flower. But it's a little slow to get its legs underneath it, literally, to get like mm -hmm. yield and production. Sure, is there sure. something that gives that kind of peony magic but maybe is a little quicker to produce a cut flower for someone in a garden or just in, you know, if someone's doing a boutique flower farm kind of setup? Well, first of all, a peony is a bloody awful thing. Um, you know, peonies love it cold. And so it's in Nashville, I, I mean, you're in Nashville doing peonies. I'm impressed because once you get down a little bit further south than you are, peonies are very difficult certainly to produce any kind of yield. And even as a garden plant, they're difficult to grow because they just don't tolerate heat very well. Uh, and I say that, whatever that means. And, and, and the warmer this plant gets, <laughs> peonies are, the, the main area for peonies, by the way, is in Alaska. That, that's that's the, the biggest uh, production of peonies right now. So um, there's nothing magical. It's, 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 you have to know that if, you, if I live in Miami, and I want to buy peonies, I'm just wasting my money. I have to know that, or somebody has to tell me that. Even though the picture in the catalog looks just as good in Miami as it does in, in Nashville or in, in Anchorage. So that part, there's no magic formula. I think the magic in, in what you do, Steve, for example, is proper thinning and proper fertility and, and you know, proper selection of cultivars. And for you, as a, as a business, it's really important that you go to the Specialty Cut Flower Book or you go somewhere to join the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers and learn all you can. For a gardener, uh, I, I think they also have lots of places for information. And again, I'm going to have to talk about me a little bit. My app is full of information on what is the best Baptisia or what is the best peony for the South. Uh, that doesn't mean you can make money on it, but as a gardener, you can certainly enjoy it. Books, uh, you know, I've, and again, I've got a bunch of books and so do others. Um, so it does take a little time in, in reading and researching because, as I also tell my students and anybody who wants to listen, there's no such thing as a bad plant, only a bad use for a good plant. You don't put a peony in Atlanta, uh, even though there are people to do it, and expect that you're going to have the greatest plant in the world. It just doesn't happen. What's a good, so, what's a good so, alternative plant that you like from peony that gives sort of peony like qualities as far as flower goes alan well i mean you know there's nothing i mean a peony is magical 
but you know, I mean, so that's that's one of the reasons, which I guess is a down the road a little bit why hydrangeas have become so so incredibly uh, popular is because they do make decent cut flowers, they do make good flowers, they do have different colors, uh, but but uh, you know, you know, it's hard to re- replace a, a peony with anything Hi- hibiscus, but hibiscus gives you kind of a look of a peony, I suppose, but. Uh, you know, they are terrible cut flowers. So, uh, but as a garden plant, you know, there are lots of plants that have those kind of large, wonderful flowers uh, that, you know, Confederate rose, for example, in the South uh, has a peony-like flower. But you don't replace peonies in the South. You just don't. There just isn't anything. What about poppies? This is something no, I see that's geez. very popular on Instagram, <laughs> right? The entire group, and and let me hit you with this. I had oh, I had so somebody <laughs> So I had so many people send me. There is one particular very popular account on Instagram who grows a lot of poppies in Washington mm-hmm. State, Washington State, and yeah. I found it very humorous to me because I don't think many people are aware of the poppy's native range and climate and habitat and all of these things are poppies something that people should get behind strongly. Alan, should this be become the thing that that takes over cut flower production for people's at home gardens? Absolutely not. I mean, poppies are good, beautiful, beautiful plants. I love poppies. And there's, Oh, there's, there's a good 30 or 40 species of poppies that are just spectacular. Everything from the Iceland poppy to the Shirley poppy to the, to the, to, to um, the, or the, um, oriental poppy. I mean, there's a ton of them. Uh, but again, let's see if I can, Washington state, you know, the, the Northwest, particularly the coastal Northwest. I mean, it's a different world. It, it isn't even close to what Nashville is or what we are here, or even what, 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 Oberlin, Ohio is. It, it, it's a different world, and 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 more power to them. I mean, it's a fabulous place to grow plants, including peonies, or including poppies. But to say as a as a as a global statement, yeah, poppies are the next great thing. That's just nonsense. Um, the annual poppies are fabulous. I love the annual poppies for a garden, but they're terrible cut flowers. Well, and also um, for everyone, Alan has been one of the the few voices in the wilderness for <laughs> several decades now. And I pick on this fact all the time that two of the places that a lot of plant, gardening, horticulture knowledge, whatever you want to call it, comes out of is the Pacific Northwest and England. And both of them have incredibly specific climates that the majority of the world does not have. (laughs) So some of these things that we see, that's where they've been coming from. But Alan down in Athens, me here in Nashville, we're not seeing that. So give me your choice. Uh, one of the things that I'm on a bit of a kick with this year, Alan, are some of the Japanese woodland anemones. Do, do you like those for a lot of parts of the world? Give me just a couple of off the top of your head things that Alan Armitage likes as like a gardening flowering plant. Well, well, I mean... So understand, Steve, that my home... My original home was Montreal. Okay, so I'm 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 a Canadian and I'm used to cold. And now I live in Athens, Georgia. Now Athens, Georgia is in the foothills of the Smokies. It gets four seasons, but it's hot as hell in the summer. Okay, that's the national's not that much different. But 
But having said that, so I've, I've learned the east and the, uh, the, the north and the south thing. And so, obviously, uh, I would love to have peonies. God, I'd love to have delphinium. Uh, I'd love to have lupins. I mean, I love them, but I can't grow them down here. So while they're still my favorite plants, they're my favorite plants in, in somebody else's garden. Uh, for my own garden, uh, I, you know, if I'm going to just pop my head right now, I'm going to give you just whatever comes to my mind. Spilophorum, which is the woodland poppy. Absolutely fabulous. It's not a poppy at all, but that's what it's called. Uh, uh, it, it, it is received. It's fantastic. Larkspur, of all things. I put Larkspur in the garden a few years ago, and it's, that's the annual delphinium, by the way. Uh, and it receives, and I just let it receive. So it, it's, it's spectacular. I mentioned hellebores. The new hellebores with variegated leaves, I can't get enough of. The flowers are upright. The foliage is perfect. And by the way, that makes a good cut flower, i.e. cut fruit, actually. That, that, that lasts a long time, as do Larkspur is not half bad either. It just takes a lot of them. So, so there's some. I mean, all the, all the. I mean, I, I love the minor bulbs. I love the muscaries and those that I can grow well. I love some of the species tulips, even though they're annuals. I still love them. Uh, so I, I want these kind of things in my garden. And right now, I've got you know, Pyreas, both the flower and Ducias and all those other kind of things that I wouldn't be without. So if you ask me what's my favorite plant. I guess it's what I'm thinking about at the moment. And a lot of my writing has to do with what I consider good plants. But I'm fortunate that I not only garden, I also travel to a lot of gardens. So I, I can see these things here, there, and everywhere. But yeah, you got to come over. Come on over. No, that's, I was over. just about to say that, Alan, that you and <laughs> I are going to have to do a field trip to each other's places here over the oh, next I'd few really months. Let, let me, we're going to close with this because yeah, I, I, gotta, gotta, I wanted okay. to ask you this as you were saying it. Put your professorial hat on for a second okay. for us, okay? Put your okay. academic hat on. We're giving yeah, a talk at yeah. Cornell at one of their very boring okay. lectures. Let's do that. Okay, ready? Yeah. Here we go. Yep. Yeah. You said things like delphiniums do not do well. Give us the technical why not. Okay, it's, it's, it's a simple thing. It's not simple. When you say that a delphinium or a peony or others don't do well. Tulips are, are annuals. Uh, they don't come back in many gardens, others, and then for the north they do. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with, 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 with light and temperature, of course. So the environmental factors that allow a plant to perform well, let's just go to those two for a minute. Temperature is probably the one that is the most important in that some things, the roots need dormancy. They're, and a peony, for example, uh, it, it, it it, it grows here in Athens and it grows in Nashville just fine. But to make it come back year after year stronger than ever, it needs a, that real cold soil temperature. And so plants that don't do well, for example, here, the soil temperatures just never get consistently low enough that, the, that, that it satisfies that need for cold. Plants do count, you know, <laughs> not on their fingers, but they do count the number of of degree days of cold temperatures. So it just means that it, it doesn't doesn't have enough. But a, a plant like delphinium, for example, which doesn't really have a huge root system, is not really a, a big root plant, it, and, and many plants. Uh, and having gardened in the north and the south, I can understand this very well, is that many plants don't do as well when it gets warm, hot, if you'd like, not because of the hot days, but because of the warm nights. To understand this, and, and, and please stop me if I'm 
going crazier. To understand this, there's two main processes going on in the plant. One is photosynthesis, we understand, give it light, it builds food. The other is respiration. And respiration is the using of food, so to speak. It's keeping all the body parts going, and you have to, you know, have some food to do it. And it's a food that was made in photosynthesis. Well, photosynthesis only goes on during the day. Respiration goes on 24 hours a day. And respiration is very dependent on temperature, much more so than photosynthesis. So it's respiring very strongly on a 90-degree day, but it's photosynthesizing pretty well, too. But on an 80-degree night, there's no food being produced, but lots being used up. And thus, the result is a spindly stem, fewer flowers, poorer color, because there's just not as much energy that the plant is storing because of the warm night temperatures. That, that in a nutshell, is, is, is it, really. Uh, Alan, you, know. you, you said that like, you knew, <laughs> like you've done this before. You sounded like someone who had a long history as an academic yeah. professor in yeah. horticulture or something. Yeah, it, yeah. trying to understand why, yeah. Well, I, yeah. so in closing, people, what did we learn today? Number one, Alan, I've had this said several times, I think, uh, and I take this as a great compliment. The people say, wow, I had to listen to that podcast a couple of times. There was so much going on and to think of. So I think this was easily a two or three listen podcast today that we've done, Alan. I feel like people are going to have to listen at least two or three times to walk away with all of the information that we gave. We also learned this, that Alan and I need to do field trips to each other's place. That's the other thing we did. Alan is going to come here and help me figure out why I made the mistake of agreeing to grow peonies because people give me a lot of plants, Alan. That's partially the <laughs> number one. And number two, when I go visit you, I'm going to teach you Instagram. That's what we're going to do. There you go. I'd we're love gonna, to do that. There you go. That's we're going to do plan. those two things. The only dreams I've had have been in the daytime. Anything to get away from the straight line the straight line that I walk With all the medicated masses Creating minds outlined in chalk I've always bordered on the edge of something My mind goes where very few dare to tread is it wrong that I'm dying, trying hard to live? So bend and break my back for a world that just won't give a little bit. With doors closed on open minds, and you can be comfortable, but you ain't safe inside. No. Close on open minds And you can be
Safe inside, no. 